secrets are buried with the bodies. Which is a creepy way to start a podcast episode. Hi, and welcome to Belated Binge, Sons of Anarchy, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the show too seriously. My name's Zach. I'm your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I nearly missed out on, like Sons of Anarchy. And today, we continue our binge of Season 1 with Episode 7, Old Bones. And this is kind of a big one. A lot of club history. Secrets are being dug up. Kind of, well, not even kind of. Quite literally, some very inappropriate urination is taking place, and also, Jax stabs a car and throws a federal agent through a window. So, let's just get into it. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we jump in, there will be spoilers. This series wrapped up in 2014. That's almost 10 years ago at this point, which makes me feel ancient. There could also be some adult language and situations, particularly with this show. Trigger warnings aplenty. Earbuds if needed and be, I guess, um, cognizant of the small ears that might be around you. Shout out to Alex and Katie of the Bonus Binge Squad for your own shout outs and access to bonus episodes like the Behind the Mic series. Check out Patreon, patreon.com slash belated binge. There is a link in the show notes. As usual, with Sons of Anarchy, I'm going to try to kick this thing off as if we're introducing the episode as a, like, I don't know, romantic comedy or some such. So let's try that first. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> this is going to be good. If you truly love someone, you won't sleep with them. At least not until after the big event you're training for. And if they truly love you, they won't sleep with someone else in the meantime, even if they bake them cookies. True love is cookie proof. <laughs> Let's jump into episode seven, Old Bones. So we open on Jax and Tara. They're out on a ride. They're on the bike. They got the wind blowing in their hair. They both look majestic and whatnot, which is pretty much not what anybody looks like when they ride a motorcycle, um, particularly when we get off of one. Most of us take off a helmet and, and we look like something died on top of our head and it's sweaty and it's gross. That's usually what happens when you get off of a motorcycle. But anyways, they're not getting off of the motorcycle. They're still riding it. That tangent was nonsense. But they do have company on their ride in the form of Agent Cone following them very, very closely. And as they ride by, we see these construction workers that are like in the shot behind the motorcycle and the car as it's right, like going past us. So it's kind of a cool shot to like, you know, start with them. And then basically you think that the shot is about them as they're coming by, as I just like total amateur smack my microphone. Um, that'll be great for the audio experience of this, but they, they go they're going by, and so you're thinking that it's all about them, and then it's like they're gone, and they don't actually have anything to do with this shot. This shot is all about the construction behind them. Um, and these construction workers are starting, I believe it's Charming Heights, right? Like that's where they're starting to dig, and they dig up some old bones. 
human bones. And we already know where our, um, you know, what, what kind of shitstorm we're going to be dealing with in this particular episode, and we're about four seconds in. And turns out, this is actually Jax taking Tara home, exactly where we left off in the previous episode. So this is one of those, there's like no time jump in between at all. We're just picking up in a direct continuation on this particular episode. And this is where Jax kind of brings up her nerves and also the tale that they had. Obviously, Agent Cone wasn't being very stealthy. And I brought that up in the last episode. It was like total amateur hour in how he followed them from the hospital. It was like Jax and Tara pull out and he's riding the rear tire of Jax's Harley. And it's like, oh, they won't notice you're there. No way. But apparently, you know, I, I think we're supposed to take this as Jax is very observant and stealthy and is able to pick up a tail. Um, I guess, sure. Uh, Tara's reaction is exactly what you'd expect out of a stalking victim. And she tells Jax about Cone and Jax reacts in, in the way that you expect a young testosterone-filled outlaw biker to react. He does the only logical thing that you can possibly do in the scenario that he's in. He stabs a car. Okay, maybe not logical, but the car does bleed fluid, so he must have hit the radiator kind of like perfectly through the grill. He's a mechanic, after all, so he knows exactly where to aim his his stab of the vehicle. He, it, the scene is actually hysterical as he's like walking up, and it's turned into a really great meme and gif. Is, is that correct? All right, so... I'm I'm going to go on my I'm on my millennial get off my lawn old man tangent here. A gif is a gif. It's not a gif. Gif is what choosy moms choose. Gif is peanut butter. A gif is the little like short meme video things that you use to try to make yourself seem witty in a conversation on Slack or through text messages when you're actually not very witty. It's the GIF. Never mind. It doesn't matter what a GIF is. It's not GIF. GIF is peanut butter. Uh, this interaction is perfect, though, in my opinion, aside from when it's not. <laughs> so he... Okay. Just going to say what he says. He asks Agent Cohn if he was taught how to suck a dick in ATF school, which is a very, very low-hanging prison rape joke, and it doesn't play very well in 2023. But hey, it was a re really long time ago. We were not having inclusive language seminars at work in those days, and I'm sure that Teller Morrow Garage would not be having them now. Uh, he also has a really good line about threatening Cohn directly, and our boy Cohn has, like, no retort. You know, where he, it's that, like, are you threatening a federal agent? No, I'm threatening you. And he doesn't have, like, he has nothing he can say to that. But he plays it really well, the actor, of showing it on his face that this stalker 
is spiraling and he's about to completely unravel. It's a childish scene, but a very entertaining and a very effective one. Um, I also think that Jax is going to wish that he went ahead and killed that dude right then and there and saved a lot of trouble later. Um, and as all for all the good things that I've said about this scene, I have a question about it. Because there's one thing that doesn't make any sense to me. How does Jax know about the restraining order? Tara did not mention it. She just said that he was stalking her. And Jax just knew inherently that there was a restraining order involved about that. It seems like a continuity error to me. I think that there's probably a version of this scene uh, in the different takes that they shot where Tara actually says like something to the effect of he started stalking me and I had to get a restraining order before I left Chicago or something like that. Um, and that part got like cut in editing because it doesn't, it's never made a lot of sense to me that she just says he was stalking me and he went violating a restraining order. You're going to be in the cell right next to me. Did they teach you how to get, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a miss. I just do. But alas, no shows are perfect. We're going to have a lot of imperfections in this show. That doesn't mean that this show isn't absolutely fantastic. Jax's first stop after this encounter is one you definitely didn't see coming. He actually goes to the police station. Hail, to be exact. And he tells him that his ATF boy Cone is a creepy stalker and to get him out of town so he doesn't hurt Tara. And this is another this is another one of those instances of Jack's character being very dynamic. For instance, if this was Clay, he would stick to the threat and he'd want to handle Cone only in the outlaw way, the messy way. Jax is fully prepared to go that way. We saw that with his reaction like in the moment, but he also realizes this is a federal agent who's working with the police in our town. If the cops do their job and handle this stalker in a way that is actually like by the book and by the law, it happens cleaner and it also keeps Jax and by proxy the Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club off of the wanted posters. It's kind of genius in a way that makes no sense as an outlaw biker, right? And kudos to Hale in the scene too. He doesn't question Jack's motives. He like he doesn't think he's playing some kind of ruse. None of the none of the shit that you'd expect to happen in this type of exchange you know, cop that knows biker, biker that knows cop, two completely separate sides of the law here. One one would expect the other to never be sincere and truthful. But in this moment, you get none of that. You only get the two young men who know each other, that grew up together, two peers and two people who are concerned about a, a, a mutual like third party that they both know and care about as a human being, another kid that they grew up with 
and he immediately puts the pieces together in his head from his previous interactions with Tara about the restraining order, Cone just showing up out of the blue, not making any sense, not actually having, like, there was no call ahead, there was no, there's, he truly doesn't have a case, he's just made one up, <laughs> essentially, and then to have Agent Stahl come in and say, like, we don't know why that guy's here, like, everything clicks in Hale's head, and he's ready to take action, and of course, he is also still a cop, so he does tell Jax to, like, let him do his job, essentially, and Jax gives him the rope to do it, and this all ends up being kind of inconsequential for the main issue at hand, but it does establish this relationship more. It establishes Jax's ability to think in a bigger picture kind of a way and consider solutions outside of the club in and outside of the law. And it's like, it's the kind of thing that allows Jax to think ahead and I think pull off some of the more complex plans that we're going to get a little bit deeper into this series. And I also think that it's a direct contradiction to something that happens much later in the series. I want to say it's season four. I think it's either four or five. Um, the Jackson Ima situation that we will come upon uh, at, 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 and we'll get into more then. Um, but Bobby has a line at that moment where he tells Jax, your solution will always be a club solution. And that's how, that's all you've ever known and all you, all you could ever do kind of thing. And it's like, well, in this moment right here, that is not true. <laughs> this is not a club solution. This is a Jax solution. And he ends up having more between here and then. So again, I think once we get there, it'll probably be me saying like, this doesn't make sense. Uh, but we are not there yet, but we are at TM, Teller Morrow, and Halfsack is boxing Lowell. And by boxing, I mean he's using Lowell as a punching bag. It's an ex-junkie in the ring with a trained fighter just taking blows because he's told to. And such is the life of a hangaround. Uh, I guess it's only worse if you're a prospect. And, well, that's Halfsack's life, so... Maybe this is backwards. Maybe the ha the hangaround should be beaten on half. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Clay calls him off, and all this is really doing is, one, reminding us we should care about Lowell, and two, establishing like a connection between Clay and this character that we've only seen one other time. And it does give us an idea of what Lowell is doing here, or at least who brought him here, and, you know, uh, essentially just makes us care about him so that we care about the shit that's coming up. It seems that Halfsack is going to be fighting in some sort of local tournament, and now the plot is getting thicker. We're, we're getting the wheels in motion a little bit. Clay launches a plan to help make money for the club because they still owe the Irish money because Clay insists on not assembling weapons at the clubhouse and told the Irish that and told the Irish that they would have to not be taking in guns so that they could turn around and then take in guns and assemble them 
in at the at the at the clubhouse so that they can pay the the money that they owe the Irish because the Irish are mad at them because they told them that they wouldn't take the guns and assemble them at the at the click. I I I'm I'm never gonna be able to wrap my mind around that. Well done, Clay. Uh, real leader of leader of lead, lead well. Yeah, Clay has some moves that are that show a level of intelligence in this series. It's not one of them. It's not. Um, but this plan goes a certain way by the end, but his plan is to have half sack take a dive at the end of the fights. They're going to, you know, have be betting on him, betting on him, betting on him, betting on him, betting on him and get him to the, the final round and they're going to bet against him and he's going to lose on purpose and they're going to make a bunch of money. That's the plan. That is the plan. And Clay puts Tig on um, training and Bobby on Cherry. And this is interesting too. Clay is legitimately trying to see if Cherry is willing to have sex with other club members or if she's really just here to be with half sack. And this can be interpreted as Clay trying to get rid of the girl that he cheated on Gemma with and caused him all kinds of problems in the last episode and some of the best lines of the entire series being shouted in a police station. Or you could interpret this as looking out for half sack, his prospect. Is this girl really into him or is she willing to be unfaithful to him? And is she just using him somehow? Maybe she didn't like it over in um, over in Nevada. Who knows? Uh, Indian Hills may not have been treating her great or whatever her excuse might be that she wouldn't want to be there. And she sees this as her way to jump to another club and she sees half sack as her ticket to getting to an actual patch to actually become an old lady or whatever essentially he's trying to make sure that the girl that half sack is into and wanting to make his old lady is not only willing but worthy and it's kind of poetic in a super masculine problematic kind of way it's at this point that Jax informs Clay that the cops are investigating some old bones that we saw in the opening scene. He overheard this at the police station, apparently, and Clay and Tig know exactly what's up. So they all three go to watch. Apparently they're still, you know, they still are investigating out there and such. And Jax learns that it was his club that put those bodies in that particular hole. And credits. It still surprises me how much gets crammed into this show before the opening credits even begin. And we open back up at the table, and it's story time. Clay's explaining that the bodies that were found in that hole are Mayans. We know that the Sons of Anarchy and the Mayans do not get along. He talks about how the clubs were at war back in the day. Jax puts the timeline, you know, together and kind of ties it to when his dad died. And all this shit is connected. And we just can't see the web yet. But it's going to be there. And 
I'm having a hard time not going down that rabbit hole at this moment, but we're seeing like the 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 little etchings of webs of lies and deceit and murder and death and family and just drama, really, uh, all kind of being formed right in front of us in plain sight, hidden. We'll get there. Tig lets them know that they weren't trying to be safe back then. They're assuming that if the cops identify the bodies in the first place, they're going to look at Sam Crow immediately. And so the plan is to try to stop them from IDing the bodies. So Clay comes out to like lay down some ground rules for half sack. Bobby is going to take Cherry until after the fight because no booze, no dope, and no sex. That's the rules, apparently. And and there's a nice little exchange between uh between Clay and Half Sack where he's like, that's like, you know, that whole sex before no sex before a fight is like an old wives thing. And and Clay's like, did you just insult my old lady? It's 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 good. It's good. Uh we get that. Like it's starting to become playful when just a few episodes ago it was not playful at all. And now Hale's at the hospital and wakes Tara up, who's sleeping on her couch in her office because every doctor has an office at this hospital, apparently, and every doctor's office has a couch or something. He's upset that she didn't tell him who the guy was when she asked about the restraining order. And she's, at this point, she's just acting like she's over it. She explains how the cops wouldn't help her in Chicago. It took three different precincts to get a restraining order. And this is kind of unfortunately one of those things that you hear about with law enforcement that's like the dark side in real life. Like there's a lot of good cops in the world definitely who truly want to help and protect people. But there's also some really shitty ones that do bad shit and they abuse their authority and you hear that it's this like old boys club right and and when one of those cops is accused of something all their buddies with badges come to their defense and and it just makes it worse for the victim and and this is a thread that this show is pulling on in in this episode that's like tara is a victim and the other law enforcement officers she went to for help refused to help her so why would she think that hale could help now that the same man has followed her home. Like, this is where we see those, this is where we see these two people not in their uh, careers or professions, but just like two people on a personal level. And Hale does promise to get rid of Cone. And um, he probably should have actually gotten rid of Cone first before he came to visit or make that promise. But um, that would be less dramatic. And at least Tara looks hopeful for the first time, possibly, since the show started. Um, she's either been serious because, you know, baby surgeries are serious shit, or she's been terrified because of her stalker has a badge and a gun and federal resources to follow her to her childhood home. I don't I, I understand why this would be the first time that she actually looks hopeful. And now we're back at TM and Gemma already knows about the bodies because 
she's Gemma, but thankfully, she and Clay do give us some insight that Clay and Tig were lying to the rest of the club. It was not three Mayans in that hole, and the thought plickens. Jax comes back to let Clay know that the bones are being left at the hospital overnight, mostly because we need them in a place that we can actually access, and Clay suggests, hey, let's access them. Use your connection to Terra and get us in there. And Lowell, like, hollers to Clay, asking if his kid can hang around there, and Clay and the kid have a have a relationship. Again, we're just building up this, this relationship between Clay and Lowell, and apparently Lowell's kid, and we... They're just trying to build that up for the blow that's coming. And it's a little... I get it, but it's a little bit telegraphed, if I can be honest. Um, Jackson Tig are at the hospital. Tara isn't in the room that they check. The one room. They only check one. Uh, but Jax does spot a lab coat that they can use, which is super helpful, and asks Tig to get... <laughs> <laughs> he asked him for a distraction, and this is a master class in Tig mania. He walks in, immediately pulls his ass out, and starts talking about a dog bite. Remember the dog bite from him and Juice in that scene where Juice gave the wrong drugs to the dog and the dog bit Tig? Well, here it is. It's back. It's hilarious. Jax has this like funny line about not scarring them for life. And and I like this. I'm I'm a big fan of this scene. I've mentioned many times, I think, at this point, we're only in season one, that I don't really like Tig. I don't like that character much. Especially in this first season. Like, I kind of hate him a lot. Um, but he and Jax kind of working together on this and palling around a little bit is really nice to see. We're not going to get a lot of that. Tig is kind of a dark cloud for Jax, I think, throughout this series, and that's probably why I've never liked him. Um, I, I do tend to be... Jax is one of the most fascinating things that I found in this show early on that got me hooked, so, you know, it, it was easy for me to kind of root against his foils, um, I guess. Uh, I connected with that character very quickly and early. Uh, I've and it's it's been upon rewatches that I've started to kind of hone in and connect and focus a little bit more on different characters when I when I watch through another time. Like uh, I probably shouldn't even go into this right now, but Opie, for instance, I was never really that big of an Opie fan. Aside from being really excited when I saw Gary Bertier show up in this show early on, like. I didn't really get on the Opie train all that much, but this rewatch that I'm doing for the podcast and, and really kind of like picking it apart, I'm, I'm almost like so focused on every time Opie's on screen in this season that I'm like really getting into Opie this time, uh, which is uh, interesting. Uh, it also speaks to how you can, how you can get a lot of value out of, the rewatchability or the revisit or the rebinge ability of some of your favorite shows or books or whatever and and why that's such a such a cool thing to do 
um, to to like rewatch things or reread things because you if it's if it's good and you enjoyed it, you're gonna pick up on something new in a rewatch or a reread, and the more you do it, the more new things that you're gonna kind of pick up on and different ways you're gonna enjoy it each time that you do it. In my opinion. But I mean, it's my podcast, so that's kind of the only opinion you're getting unless there's a guest and spoiler, no guest on this episode. Sorry. Uh, Jax walks in on Clay visiting Abel while they're at the hospital, which is cool. Um, And Clay doesn't want Jax to help with the little mission that they're on. Obviously, we know that it's because Tig and Clay have been lying about the bodies in the first place, but Jax is completely caught off guard by this. He's also he's also not an idiot. He knows that there's something weird about that and something's going on. And oh, Tara's here after all. Surprise! Maybe look in more than one room. And Clay gives us this really awkward exit that really suggests that he and Tara have never, like there's never been chemistry of any kind there in any way. Although Clay also kind of gives you the impression that he's never really had chemistry with anyone except for Gemma. Tig as well, but that ends up going sideways at some point a little bit. Clay's an interesting, Clay's an interesting arc. Anyways, um, Jax proceeds to check in on Tara while, you know, while she's there and promises that she won't have to worry about Cone anymore, and that ends up being a bit of a white lie. Not intentional, though. Intentions were good. Uh, She must be feeling very, very uh, special because she's had two men come and tell her that they're going to be her knight in shining armor and get rid of this stalker guy, Joshua. Speaking of Joshua, a.k.a. Cone, He's breaking into Jax's house right now. And what he does next is really disturbing. And yeah, um, just fucked is what it is. Uh, He goes for Abel's nursery and immediately pulls his dick out and starts pissing on the floor. Like he's marking his territory in a newborn's nursery. Do you remember when I said this dude is spiraling? He's a maniac. Ugh. Anyway, back at the hospital, Clay and Tig are checking for the bones. They're trying to find them in the uh, in the in the morgue, and Clay starts looking for gloves, like you would do if you're, you know, planning to steal bodies and bones from a morgue in a hospital. You wouldn't just leave your fingerprints everywhere. That's why you're here. You're here because Tig brings up at the table that they weren't thinking about DNA and fingerprints back in, what do you say, 92, I think. I think that was the year he said. I don't know. I didn't write that down. And here he goes. Go steal the bones. Don't put gloves on. Just touch everything with your bare hands. Sure. We do get a good joke, though, in a very, very awkward description about Tig being a necrophiliac, and 
I mean, of, of all the things, like I, I feel like it just fits, just lines up, lines up just with who we know Tig is. Sure, why not? That add it to the list. Uh, Jax shows up, and Clay is pissed. He did not want Jax here. And Jax immediately sees, he, he's the one that finds the bodies, of course, the bones, and sees they've already been identified. And he goes straight for the one that they didn't want him to find. Lowell's dad. That's why we're supposed to care about Lowell. Now we cut to Bobby entertaining Cherry at his place, because... Sure. And he baked cookies. That's his game. With women, apparently. Baking cookies. That's hysterical. I love that for Bobby. Badass biker. Told to throw everything he's got to try to sleep with this woman. And he throws on an apron and hits the kitchen. Cherry's not into it. Or at all comfortable with the attempts at him forcing himself onto her. She's out. And he's good. He was told to try. He tried. She didn't give in. He's good. Have a cookie. It's a weird scene. Truly. But like, we get to know Bobby. And this doesn't feel like Bobby. <laughs> but the cookies do. Back at the hospital, Jax wants answers. And like, you know, why was Lowell's dad buried with two Mayans? Clay blames the Mayans. Claims that he knows that it was disrespectful to put him in the same grave as two of the enemies. But it was a crazy time. He was just caught kind of in the crossfire. And they needed to essentially get, you know, they, they needed to get rid of, get rid of the evidence and rid of the bodies. And he, they just threw them all in the same hole. Sure, Jax knows immediately that Hale's going to use it to interrogate Lowell and try to get him to spill and incriminate Sam Crow. This is getting uglier. Jax is not buying Clay's story either, and we get the sense that his wheels are spinning in the back of his head and they're not landing on Clay telling the truth here. And <laughs> apparently when I was writing my notes for this episode... I had to put in here, why the fuck does Hulu have commercials? Our subscription isn't enough money? Of course it's not. So there you go. Hulu, not a sponsor of this podcast. Uh, Clay goes to find Lowell at TM. He's working on his own bike. So, again, we're, we're trying to care about Lowell. We're getting a heart-to-heart -heart with him. Clay tells him about his dad being one of the bodies that they dug up, trying to get ahead of the cop's uh, bringing the information to him. He just doesn't explain very well at all. He goes the stoic route and then tells him two Mayans were the ones that killed him. They kill those Mayans and then they all, you know, they buried them all, I guess. Gives him like a pep talk about what to expect the cops to tell him. Gives him a real cold-hearted hug at the end. Again, you get that sense that Clay doesn't really, doesn't really have a connection with anybody. Uh, again, except for Gemma. And Jax sees this from the roof while he's reading his dad's book. Gotta, we gotta tie John Teller into this story too. And it's actually warranted, not just for the narration and, you know, a good timing for the, the truth and lies voiceover piece that they've got in there. That's not why they're tying John Teller to this. 
Things that were set up in season one, when it seemed like it was just a fun bikes and bullets, camaraderie, brotherhood, uh, call it the three B's, bikes, bullets, and brotherhood. I like that. Cut to Gemma showing up at Jax's place. By the way, I know sometimes that I say Jack instead of Jax on this show. It's particularly when I mean to say Jax's, like with an S. I know I've said that before, but in case anybody's new, I just have a hard time putting an S after an X. It's hard for me to say. Jax's is just hard for me to say. Couple that with my dog also being named Jack, and sometimes I just don't get the right emphasis on the X. But Gemma doesn't need to worry about that. She needs to worry about Abel's nursery, the only room that Cone vandalized in the entire house for some reason. He also hung some pictures of Jack's nailing Susie from a few episodes ago. You know, those really good, um, those like amazing, just executive producer of adult films level photography that he was able to capture through that window that they were apparently having sex right in front of with the blinds and the curtains open for plain view of anyone to see, I guess. He made copies and hung them around Abel's nursery for some reason. I don't know. Maybe he's trying to tell him, hey, you're going to have a, a, a brother, kid. I, Gemma also figures out that he pissed in the floor because Gemma doesn't miss anything in this show. So when she steps in, you know, anything wet, she immediately knows. It also helps when you're married to the showrunner. So you, you get some of the inside scoop, I think. And your character is written in a way that's basically like, a, you know, untouchable superhero of a character if there's if there's one i i think that gemma i think that gemma is an iconic tv character um i also think that she's she's kind of the biggest like flaw on the show to me from like a a a a high level standpoint of one She's always like way too ahead of information. Like she's too, she just, she's too, she's, she's too plugged in. She's too smart. She's too like smart and strong and like too everything a little bit. She's just kind of like over everything. Um, overpowered, I guess. Is that, is that what the kids say? OP. She's, she's OP on this show. Um, and also, I think I've said this in a in a past episode. I think where the Sons of Anarchy TV show took the the biggest departure from its um, from its inspiration of its um, subject matter is in the strong female characters that are tied to the to the club and and kind of making Gemma too plugged into like club business and stuff for. Um, for the role that she would be playing if this was a, an actual uh, 1% uh, motorcycle club. Anyways, now we're at the station, and Hale's talking about the old bones, and Stahl is back, apparently. Hate that bitch, but she's back, and 
she does a great job. That's why we hate her. And they're going to try to use Lowell to try and give give up something on the club that they can use in their um, you know uh, in their in their efforts in their case. And apparently, they also can't find Agent Cone. And let the interrogating begin. Lowell does actually pretty good for like like thirty seconds. He breaks down very quickly. He doesn't take. I guess it. I don't know. It doesn't take much to rattle a junkie, I guess. I don't know. He's saved by Unser, who's apparently not even, like, aware that Stahl's been here the whole time. I guess. I, I get we're supposed to think that Hale sucks and that he's, like, doing shit behind Unser's back and all that, but she's been here for a long time, and he hasn't noticed. That's just being incompetent at your job. Like, I know he was trying to quit, and Clay wouldn't let him, but, like, He's spending clearly more time at the barber shop uh, than he is at the station doing his job because she's been all over that station and he's oblivious, apparently. But the good thing about him spending that much time at the barber shop is that he knows exactly where Agent Cone is at the barber shop, not out of town. And Hale neglects to share with Unser anything that's going on with Agent Cone. And that's the part where Hale sucks. He should have let Unser know why it was important to find him, and then Unser could actually help with resources. He is the sheriff of this department. Whatever he says goes for on the local level. So, like, he could have dispatched somebody that's... See if there's any unit in the area, get them there now. Like, he, he could have done quarterbacking here that Hale doesn't have the the authority and the resources to do and that Agent Stahl doesn't care enough to do because she doesn't know, like, I don't know. I, I don't know that she... I don't think she knows until after the altercation that's coming why Cone is here in the first place. So, like, yeah, it, it just... Again, I've been more positive in my review of Hale in this rewatch than I ever was. I thought that Hale was a complete and total douchebag like every time that I watched this show until this one. I'm actually finding the positives in Hale. This is not one of them. And Gemma shows Jax what happened in his kid's bedroom. He knows that it was Agent Cone. Gemma blames Tara. Just a reminder that she hates Tara for no reason. I don't mean that she hates her for no reason. She probably hates her for... I mean, she hates it for, like, mom jealousy reasons, which is, again, weird. Um, But it's... There's not really a reason to put it in here. Uh, Jax calls Hale. Again, working both angles. The outlaw angle and the in-law angle. And that doesn't mean what what it could mean, but you know what I mean. Now we're in a race to Floyd's Barbershop, and Jax wins. And he kicks the shit out of Agent Cone, throws him through a window. Cone does manage to stab him with some scissors, which turns out to go in Jax's favor, but he doesn't even stop punching. I've never been in a fight like this. I want to make that very clear. I've never been in this kind of a fight. Like, some scuffles, but not like this. I can't even imagine 
the feeling of ignoring a pair of scissors stuck in my leg and just repeatedly punching someone's face, presumably until you just can't raise your arm again. I can't even wrap my mind around what that feels like at all. But, wow. Wow. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with, well, that's, Cone's having a bad day. Yeah. And it gets worse. Because once he gets back to the police station, he's trying to explain his side of the story. He doesn't, he doesn't look as bad as I, I thought he should after that type of a beating. But that's just my opinion. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but the story that the cops got is that he stabbed Jax first. And then Jax put him through a window. And that turns Jax into a victim who's not pressing charges. Which actually makes no sense. Like it fully makes sense in the outlaw biker you know, persona or whatever. But I feel like if you want to make sure that Agent Cone can't get to Tara, you probably should press those charges. Yes, he's violating a restraining order, and he can face those charges, supposedly, but it wouldn't have him detained now, and it would make it a bit more of like a sure thing, wouldn't it? I don't know, maybe not. But he goes into the stalker speech just total psycho rationale about Tara and how he's protecting her from Jackson. Stahl doesn't like this guy much either. And that's like the one thing I can agree with her on. And Jax corroborates Floyd's story apparently, but Stahl knows it's bullshit. Uh, she tries to use it as an angle. You know, she's here to try to arrest the Sons of Anarchy motorcycle club, literally every member if she can. So you know, this is also why she's a good villain for the club. She'll use any angle that she can to try to get an edge and get them to crack. One way or another, get to her goal. And you need to remember that when we see Opie again. I mentioned Opie earlier. Why no Opie in this episode? Why no Opie? We needed some Opie in this episode. Outside, Agent Cohn's being escorted out of town. Jax follows them to the border of town just to be sure and then turns around. And this is all happening while Half Sack is like kicking ass in some bare knuckle fighting ring. Totally cool. All that. Now Gemma's at the house. She's talking with Clay about Tara. She hates Tara. Why she cares so much about who Jax dates is like supposed to be this like overprotective mom and all that stuff. But like, why? I, whatever. What it really is, is completely manipulative matriarch type stuff. Um, so far, Gemma's been the club mom, Clay's old lady, and besides a few moments, we've been rooting for her, but she's got a lot under the surface that's going to come up, and I'm, she's just toxic and chaotic, uh, and that's going to unravel, and so am I as we go. Tig interrupts. Let's Clay know that Lowell took off and left his kid alone. More backstory on Clay's relationship with Lowell. Again, very telegraphed here. <laughs> Tig's checking rehab. Yeah, right. Gemma is reassuring Clay that it's not his fault. I mean, it is. Clay killed Lowell's dad, dumped him in that hole, and he lied to Lowell his entire life, but sure, um, good on Clay for looking out for the kid, I guess, but how much was he looking out for him if he ended up a junkie who's capable of leaving his young child alone to fend for itself? So, obviously, Clay didn't do much 
Anyway, he finds him at a hotel room, probably the first place he checks. No explanation of how he found him at all. Sure, plot. Lowell is completely just gone, pointing gums around. Gum, gums, pointing guns around. Sure, uh, he's got one of those. Everybody has a gun on the show. Clay tells him that his father was a rat and a junkie, and he goes with the tough love route, I guess. And Lowell is lost and broken and literally asks Clay to kill him right there and then. It was intense. And Lowell just wants Clay to save his son. It's tough. It's a tough scene. Back to the fight, though. Half-Sack has been informed. He's supposed to take a dive and lose the fight on purpose. And he's not stoked about it. Gemma, still in Abel's room, smoking. In a nursery. I would say something to judge that, but there's literally pictures on the internet of my uncle holding me as like a one-year-old baby with a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other, and like, that was just life then. <laughs> uh, Gemma, like, whatever. Um, she tries to interrogate Jax, about Tara, and he's just not having it anymore. He basically tells her to go to hell, and you know what? Go good for him. He's a grown man. He doesn't need his mom like all up in his business about who he's dating. He's not in high school anymore. He's a he's divorced, father, club member, a lot, a lot worse things that he's done in his life that Gemma's fully aware he's done than dating his high school sweetheart. I mean, come on, get out of here. Back to the fight, though. Half-Sack's trying to lose, but he's kind of bad at losing, and Clay stops to have a chat with Cherry. He questions her. She gives the right answer. She passes the test. He gives his biker blessing. For her, for Half-Sack, and her reaction is excited. But it's here for the drama. Half-Sack sees her, like, hug Clay, and he just starts seeing red. Kicks the shit out of this guy that he's supposed to lose to. This is... I just think it's dumb, if I can be honest. I just think this part of the story... I know this is, like... See plot of the episode. It's supposed to be the levity. It's supposed to be the comedy. And in a lot of ways it is. But at the same time, it's stupid to have it land here. This idea that Half-Sack is in a boxing ring in a, some back alley warehouse type of a place, literally in a physical altercation. And what he's actually doing is scanning the crowd, finding Cherry and Clay, seeing her hug him to say thank you, and he's getting super upset and beating this guy up worse for it when he knows that the club that he's prospecting to be in has ordered him to take a dive, like, and he's going to... This is stupid. And the club didn't win their money, now they need to raise even more money 
in a week. Jax is waiting at Tara's house. He lets her know that he watched Cone leave town, but he's heard enough people questioning Tara's motives to start questioning them himself, and he confronts her about why she came back to him. To to did he did he did she just want the protection? Did she think that he was gonna hurt Cone? Like what was what was that for? She questions where that line of questioning is coming from. A lot of questions happening in this exchange and she you know there's this like jack's mic drop and he leaves and clay comes home to Gemma. he's had a long day lowell's still alive turns out there's a cryptic exchange about bodies how much clay told jacks and lowell how much of it of the truth came out how much stays buried there's definitely more here we're not done spinning this web, and Gemma is at the center of it. And that's the episode. Crazy episode. And this is where things start to really kind of form for the series a little bit. So far, we've been establishing the club. We've been, we've been getting the characters introduced. We're, we're, we're learning about the town. We're setting up some stories. We're dealing with some challenges you know, along the way but they tend to last an episode at a time. There's been some long-term plot lines for the season, of course. There's been Agent Cone, Stahl's been around, Hale's been around. We've got the Irish stuff happening kind of in the background, but for the most part, our episodes have been individual problems that get solved in individual episodes and some preliminary character explanations, and we're laying the, a little bit of groundwork this one is where the foundation is kind of starting to get poured for some of the deeper storylines of the entire series. We're not just getting club backstory in this explaining who they are. We're getting backstory to a violent history and club secrets that are things we've only heard like a little bit of. Just a tad, but it was laid out really, really well. And... If this is your first time watching the show, go ahead and fast forward a couple minutes on your app because this is going to have some real spoilers in it. Ready? Okay. Notice how Jax and Lowell were the center of this episode alongside Tig and Clay. Tig and Clay know the secret. Jax and Lowell don't. Lowell gets his part wrapped up pretty much entirely here. Clay killed his dad, tossed him in a hole, with two enemies, blamed his dad's drug abuse, and that's almost all there is to it for Lowell. He's got his he's got his reality pretty much buttoned up for the most part. The additional secrets aren't for Lowell. But what about Jax? Was this all about him finding out that there's a club secret because he's the VP and he needs to he needs to understand what kind of club he's going to take over eventually? Of course not. Of course not. We're later going to find out that Lowell's dad was John Teller's personal mechanic. The only person he let work on his bike. And John Teller died from being hit by a semi after a mechanical failure on his bike. Clay killed Lowell's dad. Why? Did Lowell's dad turn rat? Mess with John's bike? 
Clay killed him for it? I wish. No. That's not the case. This was Clay. Clay's manipulating the strings here. But it's not his web. Who's at the center of the web? Gemma. The chaos. The anarchy. Gemma. Before we get out of here, let's rewrite Sons of Anarchy. One small change to each episode at a time. What if Jax didn't go to Hale about Cone stalking Terra? How do you think this episode plays out? Any long-term effects to that? See what it does to our story? Let me know across social media. You can follow at Belated Binge on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's on YouTube. There's a Facebook group for listeners of the podcast. Best responses are going to be included in a future episode of the pod. If you enjoyed this episode, Rebinging Sons of Anarchy, give it a follow, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on YouTube, whatever you're using. Show some support, show some love, and keep using, like, like Lowell. <laughs> um, if, if, if I've got you hooked, man, keep, keep on... Keep, keep on pumping this junk in your veins, which is, I think, the last time I'm going to use that kind of a metaphor for asking you to listen to my podcast. But things like YouTube, one of the best things that you can do is actually listen or watch an episode all the way through and then go listen or watch more things on the platform. That's what's going to get people to actually see it. I'd also welcome you to check out uh, the other binges that are going on across the feed and uh, they're all in the same place bladedbinge.com if you want to find links to anything thank you so much for listening or watching remember life is short buy the motorcycle when you do wear a helmet dress for the slide not the ride and make sure you're taking belated binge along for that ride